All right, so tonight we're going to, this will be a four-week series, okay? So tonight we'll be on His Holiness. Then we're also going to talk about His power. We're going to talk about His finger. And then we're going to talk about His will. And so each week um, we'll preach and then we'll end with a worship song from Minister Rob on the guitar. And we'll all sing it together. And the song will match the message and the theme of the message. And that'll be how we, how we go. And so tonight we'll talk about his holiness. And holiness, you know, is a topic most people absolutely don't like to hear about or preachers honestly don't like to talk about. We live in a culture where holiness is, um, is, is uh, well, rejected mostly, um, and uh, the world will tell you you're good all the time, no matter what you do. And the Bible tells you that you're sinful, right? And so holiness is extremely important. And the Bible says that God is holy. And his Bible actually will say, be holy for I am holy. That's what God tells us to do, right? And so the holiness is really important, but we'll talk more about that as we go tonight. And so holiness is a topic where it's hard to talk about. People don't want to talk about it. It's hard these days to be holy, if you really think about it. Harder now than it's ever been because of technology. Uh, in your pocket right now, there's access to uh, filth, unholiness. And you turn on the TV, some stations on the television will show totally uh, unedited and unfiltered, rated our movies full of language and filth. And if you're not careful, you'll just be flipping through the channels and you'll see something you didn't even want to see, hear, or even want to hear. And so you, filth will come at you when you're not even looking for it these days. So holiness is extremely important. I remember when I was in youth ministry, uh, my youth pastor, who ended up being my youth pastor my senior year, Pastor Jacob, who then became my brother-in-law, he would tell, he would give us tips and pointers to the men on how to be holy. One of the tips and pointers he gave us was this idea of bouncing the eyes. That sometimes your eyes see things that you didn't even want to see, you weren't looking for, but it happened. You're at the beach and there's a girl or there's a billboard or there's a commercial or there's something that will pop up. And he would say, bounce the eyes. You didn't mean to see it, so you saw it. Okay, nothing wrong with seeing it, right? You just, it, it was there. So then let's divert the eyes. And I thought that was pretty good advice for my youth pastor at the time. But tonight, let's study this a little bit further. We're going we're gonna to turn you into theologians. Because the t- whole month long, we'll call the study of God, which is actually broken down to the one word, theology. And you might think to yourself, why ain't no theologian? Well, the real honest truth to that is, is you are a theologian. You're probably a bad theologian, (laughs) but you are a theologian, and there's no way around, there's no excuse about it. If somebody had a question about Christianity, you'd have to answer it. You might be their only source. You could have a bad answer, but you at least answered their question, and you're all of a sudden a theologian, right? So we're going to study God tonight. We're going to do theology, and we'll focus on his holiness. Let me read to you the the crux of our message tonight from the Bible here. Exodus chapter 3, two verses tonight, verses 13 through 14. I'm going to read these verses, and you're going to say, well, that had nothing to do with holiness, Pastor Lucas. What are you doing tonight? But it actually did. So let's read these two verses. But Moses protested, 
If I go to the people of Israel and tell them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Not much of an ammunition, if you ask me, right? Moses is looking for something to approach the Pharaoh, the ruler of the world at the time, with something to convince him to let the people of Israel go. Oh, well, <laughs> it doesn't seem like God gave him much to work with. I mean, these are people that have been in bondage for 430 years, slavery, not only just slavery, but surrounded by a sinful culture, forced to participate within the culture. They've lost their heritage as children of God as 430 years has marched on. Moses has to somehow go back to Egypt as a fugitive. Remember, he's been hiding out in the wilderness for 40 years because he murdered an Egyptian. So he's got to go show his face in a country that is looking to arrest him. And, you know, he's a little bit insecure. And so he says, okay, how can I walk up to the Pharaoh and demand the people to let him go, who, who sent me? Who sent me? You know, two words. Oh, I am. Oh. <laughs> I could see why he was insecure. I could see why he wanted Aaron to go do it instead. That's not much to work with. And so this is what we're dealing with here. But what is God actually saying with this statement? Tell, God says, tell them, I am has sent me to you. What is this word, I am? As a matter of fact, the word, I am, has to do with who God is. It actually does have to do with his holiness and his character. So number one, if you're taking notes tonight, I only got two points. But number one is God is unchanging and omnipresent. That's what this I am statement is saying. That you're going to tell them that I'm God, I'm totally unchanging, and I'm absolutely everywhere all the time. Which is an absolute foreign concept to Moses to Pharaoh, to, to the Israelites. They don't know who God is. There's this, there's this doctrine, or, or when you start to study God, you learn that there's this thing called progressive revelation. Whereas we know more about God today than what Adam and Eve knew about God, right? We've learned more. We've studied more. Paul has written letters. People have gotten divine revelations about God and Jesus and all these things. So we know more about God today than they did. So Moses is saying, who are you? Really, truly, who are you? Who, are you? who is sending me? Who are they going to respond to? They're going to need to respect somebody. Who are you? What's your name? And God says to him, I am, I am that I am. I am unchanging. I am omnipresent. See, this word I am, it's a profound statement about the nature of God, that he is always himself. This is who God is. And I think we've all had friends that are undependable, right? Split personalities. You're not sure when you approach them if they're going to be in a good mood or if they're going to be in a bad mood. But what if we think of God like this? And I think people sometimes think of God like this because this is how they always interact with everybody else. You've got to walk on eggshells as you approach somebody. They might not be approachable today. I wonder if I walk into work today, how so-and-so is going to be in the cubicle next to me. You're never going to know. 
And when you think about this, that is, that's who God is too. And people have a schizophrenic view of God because they think God is finicky or God is somehow fractured or broken a bit. They themselves are finicky and fractured and they themselves mirror their own ideas onto God and they think that's what God is like. But God is saying, no, no, no. I'm unchanging and I'm omnipresent. Remember when phones were first created? They created the phone. It was a landline and it was in your house. And you had to pick up the phone and you had to dial the operator and you had to tell the operator who you wanted to get in contact with. And she would take your line out and then she'd put you in the right other, in the line to get connected with who you're trying to call. And then when they had this whole thing got going, they had these two lines. You could be on the main line. Now, many, many of you might not even know this if you're young. You, there's a main line, and then there's there the party line. You know, the party line, well, was, that's weird, isn't it? So you could hop on the party line, and there could be multiple people on the party line talking. And so you could hop on the party line and hear conversations happening because it was a party. Everybody's invited. And sometimes we think, like, you know, that when we approach God or something like that, that he's, like, busy. He's dealing with lots of things, and he's on the party line. He's just, everybody's talking to him. How can he get, how can I get through to him? I'm sure somebody's annoying him right now. I wonder what mood he's going to be in. And we're hopping on, we think we're hopping on the party line with God, but I want to encourage you tonight that God is always on the main line with you. That there's no interruptions between you and God. He's not fractured in any way, shape, or form in his relationship towards you, in his ways towards you, as he approaches you, he shines his face upon you and you alone. Just you. But it's true for the person sitting next to you as well, you see. And well, sometimes we approach God as if he's on the party line, and we've got to work our way through the interruptions and the distractions to try to get to God, but it's not always true. See, God is always the same. I remember as a child, this made sense to me. And one of the reasons that this made sense to me, that God is unchanging and that God is always the same, is because when I went to church, I didn't notice much difference between my Sunday school experience in children's church and the experience that I was getting even in the main service. Yeah. That when I would go to Sunday school as a kid, and the teacher would greet me, and and the worship was played, and the teacher would teach me, it was very similar to what was happening in the main service. And so, yes, I would go to Sunday school service and I would do the children's ministry thing and there would be like the puppet show and there would be little games happening. And of course, there'd be fun worship and things like that. And the teacher would talk to us about the fruits of the spirit and all these things. And then I have to go to the main sanctuary. And sometimes our kids are in the main sanctuary these days, right? And when I remember going to the main sanctuary, it felt very much the same. People seemed happy to be there. It seemed like the songs they were singing were really similar to the songs that I was also singing in children's church. The lyrics seemed the same. The, 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 the energy felt the same. Everybody seemed excited to be there. And then the, the pastor happened to be my dad or like a guest speaker would get up to talk or something like that. I remember his enthusiasm and his energy and his joy from the pulpit was very similar from my children's ministry as she would teach me in children's ministry. And then I remember we did this really fun thing at church called Sunday School Rock. And I wish Mike Heffelbauer was in here right now. Because Mike Heffelbauer, I don't know if you know this or not, but he used to play the keyboard at church. And we did this fun marketing campaign at church. 
where we tried to promote Sunday school, and we called it Sunday School Rock. Now, this was back in the day where you would come to Sunday school first, and then you come to church altogether. Remember how church used to be like that? And so we would all gather, and we did this thing called Sunday School Rock. And I remember the worship team would be on stage, and they all look like the Blues Brothers. I'm serious. They would put their sunglasses on. And they had, like, these, like, black suits. And they played this Sunday school rock music. And it was about God. And I remember being a little boy. And I was in Sunday school rock. I thought this was the coolest thing you ever could experience. And we would all gather for a moment of Sunday school rock. And then we'd split off into our Sunday school classes. And I thought it was the coolest thing to watch Mike Kaufelbauer play the piano, and put on those sunglasses and rock out for Jesus. You see, Jesus was the same everywhere I went in my church. People loved him. They were excited to talk about him. They were excited to sing about him. It, they, the, the adults were able to get down on a children's level and have fun with them. And to me, that showed, showed me Jesus is the same. Jesus, the, the Jesus I'm learning about and the God that I'm learning about is, seems like the same God in this place. And then they start talking about the Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit seemed good to me too. You see, but many times people learn a fractured view of God even as they're in church. Hmm. There's a famous pastor you all know who I won't mention his name, but he grew up in a church and a denomination, which I won't say, that was very di- different from our church. This, the, this denomination did not promote the Holy Spirit, spoke against the Holy Spirit, as a matter of fact. Talked about how the gifts of the Holy Spirit aren't for today. He learned that. But he remembers going to church as a young boy, and his experience was very different from my experience. You see, he'd walk into church and in the foyer with his family, and the pastor would be in the foyer in blue jeans and a dress shirt. And he had a big smile on his face as all the people were coming to church, saying hello, bending over and greeting the children. And it seemed like a good guy out in the foyer. And then everybody would take their seats and some sort of music would happen on stage. But then the pastor would take the stage and all of a sudden he was in this robe. And when he, oh, he, he had a scowl on his face. He looked angry, serious. The atmosphere was very different with this guy. And as a young boy, He thought that the pastor represented God or even was a somehow a fraction of who God is, a percentage of who God is. And he saw this man be very different from the stage to the foyer and back and forth every Sunday. He enjoyed the man out in the foyer a whole lot more than the man in the pulpit. And he had a very fractured view of who God is. And I feel like it's very natural sometimes to say, okay, our pastor represents Jesus, right? Our pastor represents God. But I believe it's very important for us to be the same because God is the same. And this young man developed a very fractured view of who God was. And that went over into his adulthood. And thankfully now, he's a powerful man of God. But I remember as a child thinking, That God, because I was told, God is everywhere and in everything all the time. And I thought, well, that's weird. He's in a grasshopper. And he's in my heart. And he's in, you know, a a, a hedgehog. And he's in a a, a lion. And he's in you. And and, 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 and as a boy, I'm I'm trying to figure all this out. I'm trying to figure out how God can be everywhere, omnipresent, which was a fancy word they tell tell us, and they try to explain to us. And I remember as a child trying to figure this whole thing out. How can he be in a grasshopper and in my heart and in my dog and 
and somehow in a plant and in a tree and a house and and he's divided himself up into just trillions of pieces. This is wild. This is weird. But God is present all the time, everywhere, all of him, all the time, never sleeping, never changing. He is, he is unchanging and omnipresent. I am that I am, God says. You know, he is not divided up into small pieces all over the place. That's not what God's doing. But what is he doing? What I believe he's doing is that he is constantly in our hearts. He's with us. He's constantly with us. He's in our hearts, and he hovers over all the earth, watches everything. But what is he looking for? What is he watching for? He sees the heart, the motive of the heart, and nothing goes unseen or unrecorded by him. <laughs> Remember those old movies where, where the, the, the switchboard lady would be going frantically working the switchboard? That's kind of how I saw God as a, as a kid. And maybe even right now, some of you, that's how you see God. He has got, like, because there's seven and a half billion people in the world. So he's got seven and a, seven and a half billion lights and, and plugs on his switchboard. And everybody is trying to get his attention about every little thing and every big thing that ever could ever happen to you constantly. And he's up there, and he's trying to work seven and a half billion switches to somehow get connected to you, to have that conversation with you if he can get there in time. That's kind of how I saw it all happening. And I even thought, you know, as a kid, praying for little things, I don't think I should bother God with this. He's so busy. And even as a child, I thought, and even into my adulthood, I can do this. Now, trust me on this, that I'll be like, okay, you know, I don't want to busy God this little thing right now. Because there's got to be some mother somewhere putting up a serious prayer for a sick child. And there's no way, I can't interrupt that. And why would he even take the time when he's dealing with so many other things, right? Because there's all these switches and there's all these lights and there's a seven and a half billion plugs and he's trying to get it all organized and all figured out. I better just lay back a little bit here because he's so busy. And if I could get his attention, I might, he might just accidentally ignore the real need from somewhere else around the world. Has anybody ever thought this? But that's not how it is at all. So what is it like for God in you? Well, I'll say this. According to the Bible, there's one light, and there's one plug, and it's all yours. And he's just waiting for it to light up. He's just waiting. So when you, when you pray for your headache, yes, oh, it, it, it lit up. Plug it in. How can I help you today? Let's talk. Let's talk. It's just one plug. That's all he sees. He said, that's what I mean when I say God is unchanging, omnipresent, solely focused on you. He, you cannot, you cannot, Distract him from anything else. He's just anticipating that light. He's waiting for that light. He wants you so desperately to set up a prayer, to talk to him, to just thank him for something, or to just ask for something, or to pray for something, or to get that, just light up the board already. What I would say to you is that he wishes the board would light up more. Amen? See, this is who God is. God is altogether present. 
and all together himself all the time. And that means there's only one light on his board and it's your light. If you could believe this, and I hope you can, you are his only concern. <laughs> and God is only focused on you. Hmm. Hope this has a positive effect on your prayer life. I am, the great I am, is only focused on you at all times. You can't distract him from anything. Think about that. Point number two, he is a holy God. And this might scare some of you, a holy God. You know, it is kind of scary to think that God is constantly watching us and he's holy. Oh, no. <laughs> just uh, what I've done, what I've seen, what I'm, uh, how, oh, uh, this is kind of scary. And then the Bible, and it gets even scarier because the Bible says that there's angels flying around him constantly. And what do they, they, they see his character and his nature and it, unfo- it unfolds to them. And what do they say when they're overwhelmed with the character and nature of God? They sing out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty who was and is and is to come. And they sing this over and over again because they're constantly stunned at the character in the nature of God. And so we see here that he is holy. And I wonder if there was somebody watching me constantly, what they would sing. They wouldn't sing holy. They'd probably sing, get it together, brother. You're a total loser. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So we, this guy is incredibly holy and everybody's worshiping him and he's totally focused on me and I'm, and I'm not living up to it very well. Right? And we, so we serve a holy God. But what you got to understand what this definition of holiness truly means. Let's not get this confused here. Let's not make a mistake here because holy means wholeness, completion, entire, undivided. See, it's more of a math, math term than how we would talk about holiness in our modern day American English, you see. So holiness, yes, God is holy as far as purity or maybe a sexual holiness, which is how we tend to think of holiness. Of course God is that. Of course Jesus is that. And we're asked to be that. But when the Bible says that God is holy, when the angels say that God is holy, they're saying, oh, wow, look at him, unchanging, absolutely perfect all the time. He is completely whole, uh, entire, complete, complete. He doesn't need anything added to him. Look how holy he is. Look how perfect he is. Perfectly perfect in all his ways. That's That's what they mean when they say holy, holy, holy. And when you look upon God for the very first time, when you pass on to the next life, you will say the same things. Perfectly perfect, holy, complete, entire wholeness in all his ways. Great are you, Lord. Amen? Dr. Mark Rutland, I don't know if you know him or not. He's spoken here a few times. Wonderful man of God. He was driving down the road in Georgia, and he came upon a hand-painted sign that said, Holy Ghost Revival in Progress. And there was an arrow pointing down the road. But holy was spelled H-O-L-E-Y. He laughed and laughed and laughed. He thought, Oh, if your God is holy, you ain't got revival going on down there, you know? But what, what was, what, God is not, <laughs> God has no imperfections. God is not holy, but he is holy, right? 
He laughed and laughed and laughed at that sign. Somebody, somebody couldn't spell. <laughs> you know, God, let's suppose God wakes up one morning. He wakes up just like you do. But he wakes up one morning and he's like you. He's just in a bad mood. He's just bad mood. The first person he looks down on sees is you. Oh, no. He's like, why in the world did I make this ugly person? I hate this blonde-haired, blue-eyed. I hate this guy. And I woke up on the wrong side of the bed, and that's it. Today, I'm going to zap him good. Whatever it is that he doesn't want, just there it is. Itchy rash or a thrown-out hip. Just get this ugly man out of my face. This person is, I am annoyed with everything this person does. And, you know, he just wants to take his frustrations out on you. But let me tell you something today, that God isn't doing that. God isn't going to do that. Why? Because we serve a holy God who is going to look down on you. He's going to look down on me. And he's never going to do anything like that because he is holy, never changing, perfectly perfect, entire, complete, cannot have a bad day, absolutely perfectly perfect in all his ways. He is consistent. He is a promise keeper. He is never changing. So what is God like? Well, God is love, never changing. Perfectly perfect. God is I am. God is holy. His perfect character, his nature of God, his holiness, you see, it's his holiness that makes us confident that we can always approach God who is always complete, entire, holy, and love toward us. You see? So when we think of the holiness of God, do not let it scare you. Because if it scares you, then you won't approach him. If you think your sin is so great that he can't communicate with you today, then you're going to stay away from him because somehow you think that he's in a bad mood about your life. You see, that if only you fixed everything first, then you could approach God. And this is how people see God. This is how many, if not every unbeliever in the world sees God. And this is even how Christians see God. That they say, oh, I just, I need to get my, I, I just been in a season of backsliding. I got to get my life back together before I come back to church. Or I got to get my life sorted out before I approach him again. Because, you know, he's in a bad mood. He's mad at me. And that's nowhere found in the Bible. Because when the Bible says that God is holy, it means that he is completely approachable by you because he's love and he's unchanging and he's perfectly perfect and he can never respond to you the wrong way because he's God. Amen? And some people get the feeling that what's going on in them changes what's going on in God. You see, we'll begin to, if we're not careful, project onto God what we're dealing with. And you see, God is never who we are, but thankfully God is who he is. Amen? And you can always count on a God who is holy with love towards you. Amen? Completely 
love towards you, entire love towards you, complete affection towards you, waiting for that light to light up because he's holy. Amen? I heard a story from an old Chinese woman who grew up in China in a pagan household. She's now saved, thank the Lord. But she told a story of when her childhood, she remembers her family always trying to please the pagans, the pagan gods they worshipped. And they believed that the pagan gods were just very large humans. So they were a hundred or, or a thousand times taller than you, and that meant that their joy was a thousand times greater, or their anger was a thousand times greater, or their laziness was a thousand times greater, or their gifts were a thousand times greater than, toward you. And so you had to please them. And you had to make sure that you didn't make them mad. And one of the character traits that they were most terrified of from the pagan gods was jealousy. Because they knew jealousy could tear an entire house apart or a, a community apart. And so they were, would always try very hard not to make the gods jealous of their life. And she remembers that they would have a brand new baby in the family. And the mom and dad would be so excited about the brand new baby. And people from around the neighborhood would come around and say, oh, what a beautiful baby you have. Oh, it's such a beautiful baby. Congratulations on your new baby. And she remembers her father would go outside at the end of the day from all the wonderful things that had happened. And he would yell into the sky and complain about the ugly, bad baby that he was given. And she was later told that he would go out there and yell and yell and be angry about the ugly baby so as not to make the gods jealous because if they were jealous of the baby, they would kill it. What a weird thing, huh? Oh, but what about me and you? Does ever feel like sometimes life is so good? I better not do it. I know something negative is going to happen. You think God's up there looking down at you and going, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. This, this guy's got too much stuff. <laughs> I better send a hurricane. Wipe all that out. Take that smug smile off his face. He doesn't deserve any of that. He hasn't gone to church in years. He keeps cursing like a sailor. He doesn't love his kids like he should. Let's just wipe everything out. Yeah, let, oh, that's not God. That's not God at all. And she remembers she had to go through, this Chinese woman had to go through lots of teaching to realize that God is not like the pagan gods that she grew up learning about. God is not saying, oh, you are altogether too happy. I'm just going to mess your life up. That's not what God is doing, but that's what some people think God is up to, up in heaven, don't they? See, the holiness of God is not standing between us and God. What is standing between us and God? Our own personal sins and apprehensions to repent and approach. That's what's standing between us and God, nothing else. So when you approach him with your sinfulness, the Bible says to approach him boldly. Amen? Psalm 48, verse 1. How great is the Lord, how deserving of praise, in the city of our God, which sits on his holy mountain. It is high and magnificent. The whole earth rejoices to see it. Mount Zion, the holy mountain, is the city of the great king. And now when you read the Bible and you see the word mountain, it's not 
even rarely actually talking about a mound of dirt. But what it is when it says mountain, it's talking, it can be defined more as an army, a dynasty, a kingdom. And so we read that verse again. We say, how great is the Lord, how deserving of praise in the city of our God, which sits on his holy kingdom, his holy dynasty, his holy mountain. It is high and magnificent. The whole earth rejoices to see it. You're going to be happy to see the holy city, the holy dynasty, the holy nation of God. You're going to be happy to see it. It's going to be approachable. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be wonderful. Let me read to Matthew chapter 17, verse 20. It says, I tell you the truth. If you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible for you. Do not be afraid of the mountain in front of you. And there's probably a mountain in front of you. There's probably something in front of you that's standing between you and the, 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 a wonderful relationship with God or between you and the life you're meant to live, it's a mountain. There's, a, there's an army. There's something standing. And Jesus is telling us, you can tell this mountain, move. You can tell this dynasty to get out of the way. You can tell this army to flee. You can tell this negative kingdom to stand back because me and my God have a wonderful thing going. Amen? Have faith. So what is the mountain? Let me end with this. What is the mountain in your life that needs to be removed? To, and, and leave today knowing that the holiness of God is a wonderful thing for us, church. That when we ask God to move a mountain in our life or even a something small, when we approach him, he's got one light and it's yours. Amen, church? It's amazing to think about. So what is the mountain? in your life that can be moved today with just a faith the size of a mustard seed, it can be done. I'll encourage you with this and then we're going to sing a song together. Who you are doesn't change who God is. You can be full of so many problems today, but God is holy and love and unchanging and approachable today for you. He has one light in his switchboard. It's your light. He is so waiting for that light to turn on. Amen? I'd love us to end with the, with the few time we have left just singing a worship song together. And, and Minister Rob should be ready to go. We're going to sing, Oh, Come to the Altar. And the words will be on the screens. Because I think this song is a good song that matches what I talked about tonight. Because the words are, is a plea to, oh, come to the altar. Amen? Don't be afraid of who God is. Don't be afraid. Let his holiness be a great, wonderful ministry to your heart today. Amen, church? So let's stand to our feet. Let's worship a little bit.